Hi, I'm Dr. Patricia Grabarek. And I'm Dr. Katina Sawyer. And welcome to Thriving at Work, a Worker Being podcast. You can learn more about us on our website, workerbeing.com, on social media, or you can support our community. You can find more at workerbeing.com slash community. So today we are going to be talking about resilience. And I know that we've talked about resilience before, both as a part of psychological capital, which is something we talk about fairly frequently that has to do with hope and self-efficacy and optimism and resilience. This is just specifically about resilience and growing resilience. And what I thought was really interesting about this particular article is that it actually brought forward some research that I hadn't seen before about how to train people to be more resilient. So I learned some things from this about not just what the article found on top of that, but it builds on this training framework for resilience that we're going to talk about that I think also had some really great learnings. And then it gives you an additional tip for making that training especially likely to stick with people. Um, So I find this topic really interesting. So before we kick in and thinking about resilience, have you ever seen an example of someone at work demonstrate resilience that's really stuck with you over time? Oh, that's a really good question. Trying to think. Hmm. <laughs> I can't I know I'm it's thinking hard. of like, yeah, because I'm thinking of some examples of people that have been through like tons and tons and tons of change and are still like doing really well. And I don't know if that's because they're resilient. I mean, I guess partially it'd be resilience, but they could also just be people that don't have problems with change. Um, there's the problem is that the one person I'm thinking of, it actually ended badly in the hmm. sense that the company was so toxic and wild that this yeah. person left anyways in the end. But I guess she would be a good example because when I first met her, um, she had already been at the company for like two years and then lasted like another year and a half. Um, at the at a company that was really toxic and really not treating her well, like specifically her, like they were generally a problematic place to work. But in addition to that, she was like this stellar, like, I mean, the amount of work this woman did and the quality of the work that she did was just like on another playing field. Like she's just amazing. She's a data science type person. So she's mm-hmm. like really, really good with data, but then she's also really strong on the leadership side of things and like making uh, connections and relationships and like being creative and thinking of new ideas. Like she was just had so many amazing strengths. She was such a rock star. Um, and yet like she wasn't always getting the appreciation that she deserved. They constantly changed what they needed from her team. They shifted her team around so many times, even just like the year that we overlapped. She, uh, her team like shrunk to like two people, then went up to like eight people, went back down to four. Mm. It was just like constantly moving so teams much around change. her. Yeah. Um, she had a, she had a health issue plus, um, some family challenges. There was some family drama going on in her life at the same time. Like just the amount of stuff that came at this person was unbelievable. And yet she still managed to be like the best performer ever. Um, 
But given the toxicity of this company, she did end up leaving. Hmm, Uh, Yeah. Like, honestly, it was at the point where they just were still not promoting her into the level that she really was working at. Um, And they kept, like, making empty promises that next time, next time, next time, and then nothing. So they just kind of were taking advantage of her and the level that she was in. So she left for a more senior role. So it ended up, like... For her personally, I think it worked out really well. But for the company, I mean, they failed miserably with her. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I think, you know, it will align with some of what we're going to discuss today because really resilience is a skill that you can build. So it sounds like this person had a strong skill set of recovering from stressful situations quickly or maybe not letting them um, get to her as much. But... Um, if you can remove a stressor, uh, that is preferable. So, uh, so I think, uh, the fact that she ultimately, you know, ended up having to get out of there, um, probably was not, uh, anti-resilience. That's just, uh, uh, trying to decrease the amount of stress that you're exposed to. Um, yeah, I think that's a really good example. I think the example I was thinking of is, um, probably a little bit of an, an, an easier example in a sense, because it's in a totally different type of organization. But I was thinking about, um, a nonprofit that I used to volunteer in and the just, I think in a lot of organizations in the nonprofit space or organizations that are trying to tackle these really big societal issues that the stuff that they have going on on a daily basis and the setbacks that they endure as they're trying to do their work are just so intensive And I watched them have to grapple with really, really emotional challenges around people recovering from addiction and trauma. And I watched them sort of have to rally together as a staff to try to use the bonds that they had with each other relationally to sort of buoy through those times. And Mm -hmm. um, I think there's probably a difference between resilience and sort of emotional overload where you just become like numb to things. So I don't think they were in that spot because they still became um, emotional about things and it still hit them, but they were then able to sort of become resilient around the mission and realize that if they didn't pull themselves together in that moment to move forward, that they might not be able to fulfill the purpose that they all found very important in the organization. So um, I was sort of thinking about those folks and things happening and seeing them kind of crying uh, on the job Mm -hmm. and then having to get it together um, in order to move forward. But they did um, and continued to push ahead to achieve really awesome things in that organization. Um, Something that is interesting about both of our examples is that they're going to tie to the takeaways um, that I have because there are actually different forms of resilience trajectories that I'm going to talk about. And I think ours show um, some similarities and some differences. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm excited to kind of dig in to talk about what the, what the big uh, takeaways are here from this particular article. Love it. Yeah. Like, tell me the takeaways. What Then I can kind of start thinking about where our two stories align. Yeah. Align. So the first is that 
resilience is trainable. Um, and there are two sort of goals that resilience training can try to achieve. One is to have a form of resilience called robust resilience, which I'll get into in a bit. That's like the best case scenario you could get from training. And the second is called minimal impact resilience, which is in some ways a more realistic form of resilience for the kinds of challenges that most people will face, but it's not as preferable to the robust resilience. So I'm gonna talk about those two different types of resilience and um, the fact that they're both trainable. So that's one takeaway. Um, the other is that there is a multi-step process that you should engage in to train people how to be more resilient. So we're gonna talk through what that process looks like. Um, and we're also gonna talk through some tips for making sure that um, in the basics of that training, um, it turns out the way that people would want it to so that it's um, it's having the impacts on well-being and performance that uh, folks are trying to achieve. And then the last takeaway is that leader participation in resilience training after the training is over, so support that leaders show for that training in a very specific way that I'll go through, makes the training even more effective for well-being and performance. Okay, well, this is really exciting, actually. I would love to hear about the two different types of resilience. Then we've got the specific steps for training. And then I think it totally makes sense that leaders' involvement is going to be massively important because we know that leaders have such an impact on the work environment um, that I'm not surprised to hear that how they approach resilience and the folks around them after they've gone through this training is going to make an impact as to how resilient, I'm guessing, how resilient people get to be or how they grow to be. Yep. Yes. Um, and yeah, I think both of those terms are right. Um, yeah. And so I think resilience, first of all, just for a, a sort of primer for people who haven't heard us talk about this before, resilience is the ability to continue functioning effectively during and after stressful times. And it also reflects the ability to quickly ba bounce back after experiencing a stressful event. Um, and I was really excited to find this article, as I mentioned, because um, it's a new article, but what's new about the article is actually not all of what I found interesting because I didn't know the basics of this form of training before I read the article. So I was happy to learn both the idea, okay, there are these two forms of resilience that can be trained and then how can you train it? And then what they're adding new is actually the part that came at the end, uh, which I was just happy to learn about the whole thing because I didn't even know any of this stuff going into it. So I feel like that's amazing. And it says something. I feel like you know so much about this space already. So it's cool that you found an article that kind of introduced you to different things too, that you haven't seen before. Yeah. It came from sort of a different type of article. So they're drawing on developmental psychology literature, uh, oh. following people through the course of their lives to see how they develop resilience. And they're applying those principles to training in the workplace. And actually, this context uh, that this article was written in is a military context in Australia, New Zealand. Um, and so they're looking at how resilience can be formed in the military, but 
it's more broadly applicable. But the reason why we haven't heard about this, I think, is because it's coming from this other literature that we usually aren't in. But they got this article published in one of the journals we do usually read, and so it exposed me to this other set of findings about resilience that I hadn't seen before. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, we don't really go into the developmental psychology space very often. Yeah. But it does make sense that that would exist there because, you know, people develop resilience over time, especially, you know, young people that have gone through some trauma and as it continue to grow, um, I could totally see where that fits in. So that makes yes. sense. Yeah. So, so very easy, low hanging fruit for this first takeaway is that resilience is actually a skill. So I think a lot of times we think a person's built with a certain amount of resilience. And if you're a resilient person, you're a resilient person. And if not, you're not. And that's not true. Resilience is a skill that can be trained. And there are two different forms of resilience that training can help impact. The first, as I mentioned, is called robust resilience. And that's sort of the most ideal form of resilience. That form of resilience reflects the ability to endure a stressful event in real time without suffering a performance loss. So in other words, something is currently happening to you that's stressful and it's not getting to you in the way it might get to another person. So you're actually able to preserve your well-being and your ability to perform as the event is happening and it's just not taking the hit on you that it might on somebody who hasn't formed this skill to the same extent. So robust resilience is something's happening and you're sort of the person in the crowd that's able to maintain a level head and uh, continue moving forward, performing um, without getting thrown off by what's happening around you. That's fair. That I could totally picture that. I mean, um, not, not to like toot my own horn or whatever, but I feel like when a change happens within a company, like if I'm you know, all the different companies I've worked for, when there's a change that occurs, 90% of the time, I'm just like, okay, and then move right. on. But other people don't do that, right? Like it can be really hard when there's a change and, you know, getting used to a new leader or getting new, used to a new structure or a different way that the team functions or what have you. There's a lot that can kind of throw you off. And I get mm -hmm. that a lot of people don't have that. And it's But it's taken me a little bit of time to actually learn that other people don't go through change the same way that I usually yeah. do. And um, because it just doesn't hit me that way. I just don't feel it that way at all. Um, yeah. so that yeah. really resonates cause I kind of feel like that's the specific example that where I feel like I actually have this. Yeah, definitely. And I think there are different forms of, um, you know, ways in which people might experience stress. So the article did talk about how, um, there are certain folks who are really good at dealing with stressful events that have to do with particular, contexts and other types of stressful events that are more off-putting. There are some jobs that are stressful in different ways. So um, in the types of job roles that we've had, a lot of the, um, I guess, stressors related to the types of work that we've done, which is more, you know, formal organization, corporate type of work, um, those challenges are different than the example that I used before in a nonprofit where people are like dying and you have to keep moving forward or in this military context. So there could be different contexts in which people show more or less resilience of different types. And so that'll become important in a little bit because um, part of the training is really understanding 
the context you're in. And as you move across contexts, how stressors may affect you more or less, depending upon what type of stressor it is. Um, That's so interesting. Yeah. So I'm just thinking like a little bit, sorry, I just want to go into this example again, using myself as the example, like prior to grad school, I was doing work in a research lab when I was an undergrad, um, that the participants of the research were either, you know, late stage breast cancer patients or patients with AIDS. So like really difficult situations that people were coping with. And in those cases, I feel like I had no resilience. I mean, I was also really young and probably hadn't built some of those muscles, but I just, I took it home with me. I would get really upset when people were struggling with different things. Kind of like you're saying that nonprofit context that you used, like where there's really difficult situations and that is not where I bounce back easily, but then I go into a corporate setting and it's way easier for me to bounce back. So I totally see what you're saying with the context yeah. and how much it matters. And I wonder how much of it too is experience. Like if you went back into that context, I wonder how you would um, handle it now. Cause part of the other piece of this is that all of your life experiences can help you build resilience. But on top of going through just life in general, doing this specific um, set of trainings can help um, to cultivate that. But yeah, I think, um, I think for people who are listening to think about, you know, where you've demonstrated resilience in the past, what sorts of stressors um, tend to get to you more than others, where you felt that resilience was harder for you, that will all come into play in the second takeaway um, around how the training gets structured. Um, Before we hop into that, I'll just talk a little bit about the second goal. So it's really challenging to train people not to be affected at all by stressors and to continue performing at the same level. So that's ideal, right? But it may not be possible all the time. And so sort of a more realistic goal that the training also focuses on is in the absence of being able to have zero blip on the radar that something stressful has happened, you can at least bounce back quickly. And that's called minimal impact resilience. The idea of that is it's going to have an impact on you. You might suffer from a well-being perspective. You might feel more stressed. You might feel more anxious. You might feel um, more negative emotions coming on. Your performance might take a hit. But you're trying to minimize the delta. You're trying to get rid of the amount of change that would happen. And so if you would take a big hit before, maybe we can cut that in half. Or if you would take a moderate hit before, maybe we can make it more minimal. So the idea here is that the recovery happens more quickly. Okay. That makes a lot of sense too. I mean, like you're right. Some things you can't like, they're going to hit you no matter what. And it's hard. I think it's really hard. Probably what you'll I'm going to assume what you're going to tell us that training for the robust resilience is probably a lot harder than this minimal impact piece because um, it's hard to fully stop or control your emotional reaction to something. But if you can bounce back quickly, uh, that's hugely helpful as well. Yeah. Yeah. And it is more challenging. They do provide a tip that allows for some well-being outcomes and a very specific performance out type of outcome um, to gain more robust resilience. But 
they couldn't, the training, even with the special trick that I'm going to say around leaders, the training did not create robust resilience for all of the outcomes that they looked at. So in all likelihood, you're going to experience some drawback from experiencing a stressor, but you can try to minimize the impact through the training. Mm -hmm. So cool. Well, tell us about the training. Yes. So the training is very um, interesting to me because it has multiple parts. These are things that I think we would have thought about um, uh, as being good practices in general for reflecting on ways in which you work or are. Um, but when applied to resilience, I think it's extremely interesting how effective these strategies are. So the first is that in order to be trained to be more resilient, you have to engage in a self-reflective methodology. And this means that you're reflecting during challenging times to build coping strategies in the face of stressful events. So the very first step of this training requires that people reflect on how they responded to a stressor, either emotionally, physically, or behaviorally. So the very first thing that needs to be done in this process is to ensure that you're really reflecting on all of the different ways that you might respond when things get stressful. So what emotions are you feeling? What are you, what, what's running through your head? What are you thinking? Physically, how are you feeling? Are you feeling, um, you know, you can think about different ways that you would, you know, imagine stress can manifest. Are the hairs standing up on your arm? Are you starting to sweat? Um, all of those sorts of things. And then behaviorally, what do you do when the stressor crops up? So the very first thing is just to reflect on, okay, in the face of this specific stressor, what happens to me as I'm working through it? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me because I think understanding where you are in most training situations is really crucial so that you know where to develop and where to grow. Yeah. So I think you have to have an understanding of where you are, what your reaction is, because how can you mitigate your reaction if you don't know what it is? Yeah, exactly. So that's the very first piece is really taking a deep dive into what happens to me when I experience a stressor. Then once you understand what happens to you when you experience a stressor, the next step is to really reflect on your goal in a stressful situation. So what is it that you actually want to achieve in a stressful situation? And comparing the way you're reacting to what you want to achieve helps you to think about what you want to accomplish and how you want to do so, so that that gap between what you're currently using as your go-to and what you'd like to see the outcome be is better highlighted. Okay. Yep. That, that makes a lot of sense to me too. I feel like I keep saying that this whole time, but it's all <laughs> making yeah. sense to me. So that's good. You're, it you're is, being very clear it's like, and it's very like intuitive, but also not what you would think of until someone presents it to you kind of. Yeah, exactly. So it's this very like methodical process to say, okay, I'm going to spend a good amount of time thinking about how I respond. Then I'm going to think about how I want to respond and that's going to help me to be able to figure out, well, how far off am I from that? And then the next piece is to think about how you used resources to try to cope with the stressor. 
So now you're going to say, okay, this is what I wanted to accomplish. This is what actually happened. What was available in my environment that I leveraged to try to get there? So did I ask for help from another person? Did I stop and take a few breaths? Did I sit down? Did I start writing out an action plan? What was in my environment? Did I ask for advice or guidance? What was available to me in my environment that could help me to cope with what was going on? And what did I use of those available things? That's interesting. It kind of reminds me a little bit of like what we talk about with hope in psychological capital, right? Like finding the different pathways to reaching your goal. Um, so I'll make sure to link to an episode about psychological capital because I know we're talking about it a lot. Um, but I think, I mean, that's very much related, right? It's like you, what are the resources around you to get to your goal or here? What are the resources around you that you leveraged? But it probably makes you think of ones that you haven't leveraged yet. Um, that could help you become more resilient. Yep, exactly. So, um, so really thinking about broadening your scope out of what's occurring in the environment um, is important so that you can then do the next step, which is how well did I do? So the brainstorming piece that comes next is what resources were available in my environment that I didn't use? How well did I use the resources that I did deploy? So give yourself some credit for what you did use. But then what was left on the table? What was still available to me that I didn't do? So I can think about a situation where, you know, something really stressful happens at work. Maybe you get an email saying that your company is downsizing and, you know, your news about layoffs are coming soon, right? In that environment, you might feel really, really stressed and knocked off your game and you can't focus on what you have to get done that day because you're wondering what the impact will be on you. Maybe instead of going and asking someone who you trust in the organization for some guidance or advice, Or maybe instead of getting up and going for a walk for five minutes to clear your head and come back to your desk, you just sit and stare at your computer and freeze, right? So in this instance, you would reflect on the fact that you physically froze, you felt all these negative emotions, you became kind of paralyzed behaviorally. Then you would think about what your goals would be. Okay, my goal is to get myself to calm down so that I continue to move forward with the tasks that I have to get done. And then you'd think about the resources you used in this instance, not very many, right? And then you would think about all the resources that you had in your environment to leverage. So maybe there's somebody who sits a few doors down from you who helps you get through challenging times or has done that for you in the past. And now you reflect on the fact that, oh, well, what I could have done is go talk to that person. Or perhaps there's a mindfulness technique that you've used that's worked in the past that you say, well, what I could have done was put on my Calm app and listen to that for five minutes instead of just staring at the screen, right? So it starts to get you to think more clearly about what you, you're feeling resource depleted because you're under a a period of threat. And the idea is to start to get people to recognize, well, you're not completely depleted of resources. What resources do you still have that you can leverage to try to keep moving forward? That's a really good example. I like that you kind of like walk through what are the other types of resources here? Because I, I think it's so easy to get bogged down. So like this exercise, like after the fact, right? Because this is obviously you're not doing that in the moment. You're thinking, we're reflecting back on a previous time. This exercise after the fact can really help you start to hone in on those resources. Because I don't know, you know, obviously in the moment, it's a lot harder to calm down and look around. But after the fact, you've done it. So the next time something comes up, you like 
are training yourself to think about what else is around you. I exactly. guess this is a training after all. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. So all of that is to say um, that the last piece, which probably is not surprising, has to do with after engaging in all of that reflection, you think about dealing with the same stressor in the future and you write out an action plan for what you would do differently. So maybe you would maintain some things that you did. So I still think that it was a good idea for me to do X, Y, Z, but next time I'll also try to do A, B, C. And the idea is that if you continue to do this around various stressors that you experience, that you'll then be able to have a better purview on all of the different things that you might encounter. I mean, we encounter unique stressors, but some stressors we encounter are similar enough that we could lump them into the same category or they could be recurrent, right? Like every time I interact with this boss who I find really stressful for me, I have this stress response that makes it more challenging for me to be resilient. So you could have an action plan for what happens when you deal with that person that could help you to overcome. So the action plan is the last piece of the training. Which you and I love action plans. We always yes, we have do. them in our trainings too. Um, that's awesome. Do. I definitely think that... I mean, everything that you've described here makes a lot of sense, right? Like having that reflection, being able to think through a problem and then figure out how you would approach it next is huge. And like, you're, you're totally right. There's a lot of times the stressors are going to repeat, right? Like hopefully you're not part of like 18 downsizing, right? So maybe that, maybe that will be helpful. Maybe it won't, but you'll likely be a part of, um, you know, having your boss not like something that you've done mm -hmm. multiple that's going to happen over and over again and it can for some people it's extremely stressful so yeah. what do you do how do you cope how do you stop the rumination at night so you can sleep um there's yeah these I think this exercise makes just so much sense because you totally will learn over time because these stressors are not always extremely unique yep absolutely and so I think that, um, you know, that was a really interesting framework for me to learn around the training and how people train to be more resilient. And I think you just mentioned leaders. And so hopefully if people are having leaders who are not supportive, um, they learn to be more resilient. But there is a possibility that leaders might be supportive and might actually go above and beyond to really care about building their team's resilience. And so the third takeaway is that while going through regular resilience training can be helpful for building resilience, it's kind of unrealistic to think that you'll go through trainings on this every week or every month or in response to these stressful events that might crop up. So what they found is that when leaders encourage their team to engage in these strategies after a stressful event has occurred, it sends a signal to employees that leaders care about them as people. And as a result, while the training itself creates more of that minimal impact resilience, when leaders on a regular basis work to debrief stressful events after they occur, so more like a on the spot, hey, this was stressful, let's deal with this and let's reflect on this and let's think about this, it actually creates more of the robust resilience in a couple of different categories. So um, it actually made stress more robustly resilient as well as depression more robustly resilient. And a specific type of training that has to do with performing under highly stressful working work conditions. So um, acute stressful events, you tend to take less of a hit 
when they occur or become more robustly resilient when the leader is augmenting these trainings that you might do by paying attention to stressful events and debriefing on them in real time. That is so interesting. I love to see when leaders can come in and like not do a lot, but still make a huge difference, right? Mm Because this isn't a huge ask of leaders to debrief after a stressful situation. And I'm curious if they talked about this at all, but it almost feels like just like I bet just knowing that the leader recognizes this is stressful Mm -hmm. and they're talking about it and we're having these conversations like those kinds of things can have such an impact without having to make massive massive changes to the organization at you know at hand right like having just the the validation that what you did was stressful and your leader recognizes it is huge that's massive yeah and you're dead on because what they found was that the the explanation for why the leader doing these additional trainings was impactful was not just because they had more exposure to the idea of debriefing stressful events and building resilience. It was specifically because they felt that the leader cared about them as people. And Mm -hmm. that created a different kind of environment for allowing for this reflection to happen more spontaneously and for people to be more honest and authentic in their reflections. And so from that perspective, it wasn't really just, oh, more of this is what makes it better. It was specifically that they perceived that the leader cared about them as people because they were investing extra time in debriefing these stressful events after they occurred. So you're right on the money. And uh, yeah, so I think for me, this was a great learning opportunity to think of some new ways to train for resilience, to understand kind of an ideal form of resilience that people might strive for, and to recognize that leaders can do a really important thing by paying attention to stressful times and actively going through this process with their team after those times happen to help make sure that not only does your team grow their resilience, but they actually just keep pushing through without any real registered hit because of it. Mm -hmm. I think honestly, there's a little overlap with things that we found in our like leading for wellness work that we're doing right now. Yeah. In the sense that having that safety, having that um, vulnerability from the leader about the stressful situation. And then again, having that like care for the person and what they're going through um, makes such a difference to the environment that they're in. So I'm, I'm glad to see that overlap because I think, um, little tweaks and behaviors from a leader's perspective can make such a difference. If you can build more resilient te- teams and create more, you know, thriving, healthy work environments just from sharing about stress and debriefing and having conversations and showing that you care. Like, again, not a massive ask for leaders. So I'm, I'm loving it. Thank you so much for sharing this and finding this. It's super interesting. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to it. And I hope everyone learned something new. I did. I did too. So thank you, dear listener, for listening. Um, Please let us know if you have any questions. You can always email us at contact at workerbeing.com. You can find us on our website, on social media, and we are available to come chat with your organizations. If you want to hear from us, learn more about our Leading for Wellness framework, um, I am dropping a Calendly link in our show notes. So feel free to reach out. Thriving at Work is hosted by us. Dr. Patricia Grabarek and Dr. Katina Sawyer and produced by Allie Johnson.